Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Richard Johnson, founding director at Upperton. With more than 25 years experience in the industry, Richard is a founding director of two successful pharmaceutical companies. He has authored 30 scientific publications and is the named inventor on more than 20 patents. His research experience spans a broad range of scientific disciplines, particularly in the field of pharmaceutical spray drying and drug delivery. This knowledge has been used in the successful development of a number of pharma products from early research to testing on patients. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon or good morning where you are, Roman. <laughs> it's a very snowy morning in uh, in Boston. So, um, yeah, once we're probably, once we finish the episode, I think I'm going to run outside and go and play in the snow with my kids. Yeah. As well. So, uh, well, Richard, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, uh, for, for our listeners, uh, please can you just give us a bit of an overview of, of your background and how you got into the sector and, and, and what you do today? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, by, by training or by sort of, career i started my sort of scientific career at uh, york university i did a degree in biology and then moved on to do a phd in biochemistry at the university of warwick in the uk and then in 1986 i moved into my first uh, uh, position in industry and i worked in the biotech industry at a company called delta biotechnology in, in nottingham in the uk and I worked as a protein chemist for, uh, I think, four years at Delta Biotechnology. But then I got sidetracked onto a, a little project within Delta looking at making microparticles, and, and in particular making microparticles from recombinant human albumin. When I was working on that technology, I started uh, for the first time using spray drying to make particles. And then I took that technology and took that knowledge of spray drying into a, a new company that I founded, a company called Andaris in 1996. And I was with Andaris from 1996 as a founding director through to 1999 when the company was acquired. And at that point I formed Upperton and Upperton was very much all about spray drying. It was a, a passion of mine at the time and developing spray drying and spray drying processes in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. So Upperton was founded in 1999. I've been with the company ever since and watched it grow from literally myself working in a lab on my own through to a, a CDMO that now employs over 30 people here in Nottingham. Very good. And well, firstly, congratulations on in 21 years of, of running your own business. Uh, I know firsthand how, how difficult it is, <laughs> how challenging that, that journey could be. And uh, so the spray drying thing is really interesting because we, we've actually had a guest on before that's spoken quite uh, uh, passionately about the value of spray drying. What was it about spray drying that, I suppose, caught your attention? And I'd love for you to also talk about, I suppose, the developments in spray drying in the time uh, that you've been in the sector because it's uh, obviously a very well-known technique in the industry now and uh, yeah it'd be great to get your kind of take on, on how that's developed. Yeah well, when, I, when I first started spray drying it was you know as I mentioned I was at a company called Delta Biotechnology and really we were using spray drying at the time as a, a particle engineering technology as a way of making particles of a certain size and a certain sort of um, 
structure which we used at the time in diagnostic imaging. So really I got into spray drying primarily around uh, using it as a technology for making microparticles uh, of a certain type. But then as I looked at more of the technology and as we sort of started to investigate the basic spray drying technique, it becomes apparent that it's such a flexible and such a sort of wide ranging technology that you can use it in, in, a, in a vast array of different types of applications. So really I think what's interesting about spray drying to me is not only can you make particles from spray drying, but you can engineer them, you can add things to them, you can spray dry different materials. It's so flexible and it has so many potential applications. It's, it's a really exciting technology. And, and I think the pharmaceutical industry, particularly in the last four or five years, has really latched onto this technique. And, and, and we see more and more applications right across the pharma and biotech industry from making particles to formulating polysoluble or polybioavailable drugs through to using spray drying to stabilize molecules and to encapsulate things. So it's, it's a very dynamic and very flexible technology. And I think that's what's attracted me particularly to that, that particular technique. Thanks for that, Richard. And, you, and what you said there at the end around, I suppose, uh, stabilizing and, and solubility challenges for, for clients, is that, is that what has driven demand for spray drying in the last kind of five years or so? Is it just more of these types of drug products being developed and so clients looking for, I suppose, alternative techniques to use as part of their development process? Yes, yeah, so certainly, you know, it, as, as I say, the spray drying is a very flexible technology and it's a, it's a great technology for solving a range of problems. But, you know, right up there is this ability of spray drying to make uh, an amorphous material and in doing so develop a, a delivery technology which can enhance the bioavailability of polysoluble compounds. And, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, the, the number of molecules that are now entering that early stage development process that have these these properties that have poor solubility and poor bioavailability is increasing all the time. So what we're finding is there's more and more demand for technologies that can improve or enhance bioavailability because these molecules are so poor and soluble. Um, that spray drying is right up there amongst one of the best techniques for, for, for solving that challenge. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah, so certainly that um, the, these raft of new molecules that have these properties of poor bioavailability is, is one of the big drivers in the growth of spray drying. That's so interesting. So interesting to hear the kind of why behind it. And uh, I wanted to just rewind back a little bit. Actually, you said um, in your introduction, Richard, that you uh, that you actually had a business before Upperton, uh, which you uh, built and and sold in, in just a few years. What what was that? I suppose journey like that mini journey, uh, and you know how did that acquisition or sale come come so quickly? Um, I, th I think, to be honest, at the time uh, when, I, when, I, when we got involved in that company, as I mentioned, I was a, a scientist at Delta Biotechnology. I was very much focused on spray drying and developing this, um, this product. At the time, it was a diagnostic imaging product. I think yeah. I mentioned yeah. engineering microparticles of a certain size. And uh, within Delta, I was running a project looking at making... Um, small microparticles made from, from albumin, recombinant human albumin. Mm -hmm. And really it was that technology, that spray drying of that diagnostic agent, which we, we effectively spun out. There's a, a management buyout. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of the four managers involved in that process. And, and the four of us set up a company called Andaris. 
And, it, and the whole company was founded around this, this lead technology, spray drying, and, uh, and using spray drying to make diagnostics. So the company was uh, founded in 1994, and it grew very quickly from a small group of four founding directors to a company of over 70 people wow. um, by, by the sort of the late 1990s. And I think around that time, you know, spray drying, whilst our focus was on diagnostics, it was becoming apparent that spray drying as a technology had lots of applications across a wide range of other pharmaceutical indications. So in the late 1990s, I think it was 1998, we were approached by a company called Quadrant, Quadrant Healthcare, that came to Andaris and within a short space of time had made us an offer and acquired our site and all the technology that went with it. So wow. it was just over four years from inception to, to sale. So at that point, I left the company, Andaris was acquired and swallowed up within Quadrant Healthcare, which then became, you know, and that site or that technology is now part of Vectura. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that technology of that sort of spray drying and inhalation technology came out of uh, Andaris and, and I went my separate way and formed Upperton. It's, it's fascinating, I suppose, the, I suppose, the two alternative paths of your, of your two businesses, the one which obviously grew very quickly and, and exited within a short space of time. And I suppose the the business that you're in now sounds like it's been a you know, very steady, sustainable, successful 20 years of growth. Is that is that a fair reflection of the two journeys? Yes, I, I think so. I think it's fair to say on, on my first journey when with uh, Andaris, I was I was very much a scientist. I wasn't I wouldn't call myself a business person then. I, I was sort of taken along with a group of business people. I was the sort of the, the chief scientist. I'd invented the technology. I went with the technology, but I wasn't really the, the business driving force behind Andaris. Uh, and, and I saw Andaris rise very quickly on the back of uh, investment. We were um, owned and invested in by a Dutch company at the time. They gave us the seed capital to, to build the business up. And then we quick, then the, the founders and, the, and the, the main shareholders exited. And at that point, you know, I was four years into my sort of scientific and business career at Andaris and it just disappeared. So at that point, I decided I wanted to form my own business and run it in my own way. And I built up a ton up from, from scratch, really, uh, working on my own, built it up organically over that period of time. And we sort of focused in a number of different areas, initially in consultancy work and developing some of our own products. And then in more recent years, the company sort of evolved into more of a service company as we moved away from developing our own products into offering a a CDMO type service and built that up from a a research-based company into a company that could then offer GMP manufacturing. So a very slow, steady, methodical growth, all all built on reinvestment and organic growth and, and evolution from a company that did consultancy and some small-scale product development right through to now a fully fully fledged standalone CDMO business, right. and all, all built organically over, over a period of some twenty years. It's funny because your um, the story of your company reminds me of, and I know you know the the company that was Juniper Pharma Services in Nottingham, um, but it it reminds me very much of their their model, which was you know analytical and consulting, and then they developed into formulation development manufacturing ultimately sold to Catalan but I uh, I love what you said there as well about the kind of slow and steady and methodical it's kind of a 
dare I say it's a nice contrast from <laughs> everyone else in the sector and I suppose a, a huge desire for people to grow very, very quickly. And I have to ask you the question then, Richard, do you still see yourself as a scientist today or are you now a business person? I think if I was honest, I'd say I'd, I'd still see myself as a scientist. Um, <laughs> I still put my lab coat on and go into the lab, probably much to the annoyance of the... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I still very much enjoy the science. I love the technical challenges. I, I love it when a, a customer or a potential customer rings up out the blur and says, I've, I've got a problem. Um, can you do this? And, and, and nine times out of ten, spray drying can, can do it. You know, anything from making particles for tablets and capsules through to nasal delivery, pulmonary delivery, solubilization, stabilization. You know, I, I love those challenges and, and that's really my scientific background. I mean, that's what, you know, what, what drives me really. I, I really enjoy that scientific challenge. Very good. You can, you can hear the passion when you're talking about the projects and, and how, I suppose, how's the journey been in, in terms of leading a business over two decades? And I suppose, I suspect you've had to learn the business side of things on that journey. And uh, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on how, how you've evolved in, in that aspect as well, I suppose, away from the technical scientific part. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey. As I say, I, I, I was a scientist at heart and I had no formal business training, if you like. Uh, I, I've learned as I've gone along, made some mistakes along the way. But you know, ultimately, it's, it's, it's always been about the science. Probably the biggest challenge has been in more recent years when we've grown quite quickly, you know, particularly in the last sort of four or five years, we, we, took, we, we took a strategic decision to, to really grow the business and, and to move into the GMP area. We'd always been a research-based business, but it's becoming apparent that if we wanted to continue and grow and be successful, that we needed to add that uh, GMP capability. So, and then, so we, we took that conscious decision that we were going to add clinical manufacturing to our portfolio. And that was a big, a big jump for us. And that's probably the toughest jump that we've had was to go from a, a small company of maybe 10, 12 people uh, doing research and development to a company of over 30 people with, a, with a, an MHRA license and a GMP manufacturing capability. Took a lot of investment, took a lot of time, moved us into more challenging and, and difficult areas that I'd not been close to before. So that's probably the biggest challenge of all was that move from R&D into a fully-fledged uh, GMP manufacturing organization. That's great. It's, it's good to hear the challenges. And I, you know, I've seen that with, with other CDMOs going through from that R&D and consulting side to actually into the GMP. And actually, they're just a, the investment it requires in time and capital and all, all that type of thing. So I imagine that's been quite a learning. And, and I wanted to ask you about, I suppose, any any trends you're seeing in drug development and, and I suppose on the maybe on the dosage form and delivery side as well I mean you're at the cutting edge of, of 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 that side of things as well is there any interesting trends that you're seeing in the market in terms of whether it's dosage forms or formulation types or therapeutic areas that are that are really um, seemingly coming through and, and in demand at the minute? Yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting question because you know obviously as a, as a business we've We've been training for 20 years and it's strange how different you know, different dosage types and different technologies come and go and everything move, you know, sort of boom and bust, if you like. But certainly uh, in, you know, there's a few trends that are becoming apparent and you know, certainly in the last year or so, and particularly with the, the current COVID pandemic, we've seen a, a big interest or growth in uh, nasal delivery. 
and um, delivery into the lungs as well. Obviously, these are the main routes of infection for COVID, and that's brought a significant increase in, in those two dosage form areas as so a nasal and pulmonary. And for us as the business, you know, we, we certainly focus more and more now on dosage forms. People still know us as a spray drying company. Uh, Upperton, if they, they think spray drying, or they see the name Upperton, the, the two tend to go together. But as a business now, as a CDMO, it's important that people realize that we are actually a, a company that makes dosage forms for clinical trials. And we make all, all types of dosage forms from powders and capsules through to um, powders and capsules in devices, liquid devices and everything from tablets through to, to capsules and uh, drug in bottle, a whole range of different dosage forms. So we've evolved a lot as a company, but uh, yeah, no, certainly, you know, coming back to your point on, you know, what are the current trends, I would say certainly a, a move toward, you know, a, a growing, rapidly growing interest in nasal and pulmonary delivery driven by the current COVID pandemic has certainly become apparent. You are listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. You mentioned COVID and at the time of recording, you know, we're at the back end of, uh, of 2020 and we've just seen a, well, a couple of products come to market in a timescale that I think many of us in the sector could only have ever dreamed of <laughs> with your scientific hat on you know uh, you know in the in your 25 years of drug development would you ever have envisaged a vaccine being developed in, in that time scale well i think if you if you ask the general question of most people is you know how long does it take to va- develop a vaccine they would say that you know you're looking at 10 years and that's probably a you know the industry standard but to be honest back in february time february march um I was, I was on my bike i was cycling home and i was and i bumped into one of my friends he's not a scientist and we were talking about this this new pandemic and what might happen and uh, he said what do you think is you know it was almost like a doomsday scenario and i said oh there'll be a vaccine by the end of the year and he looked at me gone out you know, like, you know, what on earth do you mean there'll be a vaccine? I said, at the end of the day, if sci- when, when, all, when all the stops are pulled out and science really focuses itself and governments in tandem focus with, with science, solutions will come really quick. So for me personally, I wasn't that surprised that a vaccine came within a year because I knew when, you know, when, when companies and governments pull all the stops out and throw all their resources at it, um, the, these things will get sold. And so for me, I, I wasn't surprised. That's really interesting. And uh, I was surprised, I have to admit. And I, you know, I, for, you know, friends of mine had asked me the question, obviously, given I work in the sector, and I said 18 months to two years was ambitious. So I was, I was quite surprised. But I think what you said there, Richard, around, I suppose, the, I suppose the red tape being moved and, and collaboration and, and governments and, uh, you know, and companies working together and, solution has found a way and uh, yeah it's uh, and it actually you know it leads me to another question i was really keen on getting your perspective on which is you know obviously we've seen life change in the last year as, as, a, as a, a consequence of, of covid and do you do you expect you know post covid 
any of the changes that you've seen in the sector, in the industry, even within your business to, to continue. So for example, there you mentioned, I suppose the, you know, the solutions coming quickly and uh, different bodies working together. Do you expect that to become uh, a more common thing, you know, post COVID or, you know, will we go back to the way things were? I'm hoping it's the former, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on it. Um, difficult to say. I think, you know, the, the, the pharma industry by nature tends to be quite conservative. It tends to be, you know, companies tend to work within their little bubbles and don't want to traditionally share resources and share things unless they have to from a licensing perspective. Whether there'll be a more collaborative approach in the future, I'm not totally convinced. But mm-hmm. what, what, I am, what I am seeing, particularly in the, in the smaller companies, and I'll put us in that category, is, is a, gener- a general willingness to start to collaborate and to share sort of common areas. So, for example, we're now working with a number of smaller um, companies that have um, technologies and capabilities that supplement what we have. So we're starting to see that, you know, certainly in the small company sector, more and more small companies coming together and offering joint services, co-promotion, that sort of thing. Whether that'll happen across the larger pharma companies, I'm not, I'm not really convinced. But you know, among smaller companies, I think there's a general realization that small companies that, that have complementary technologies or capabilities can, can work together. And, and certainly us as a company, we've announced recently one or two little um, collaborations and, and joint efforts that we're doing with other companies. And, um, you know, we announced, I think uh, it was about three weeks ago that we're working with a company called Capsi mm-hmm. down in, uh, in Wales, uh, collaborating and uh, they're very much upstream from us. They're very much all about API manufacturing and, and optimizing APIs and, and, you know, the earlier stages of development than ourselves. And, and obviously we're downstream from them. So I can imagine more of those sorts of collaborations where small companies come together they're not in competition with each other. They're actually complementing each other. So yeah. that, that could certainly be something that will happen in the future more. Well, that's good to hear. And I have to say, I have to, because, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you're based in, or near Nottingham or in Nottingham, which is an area that I've been fortunate to visit when I lived in the UK. And what I was struck by whenever I visited Nottingham was there was always, um, well, there's a lot of, uh, of life science activity there. And there's a lot of companies like yourself in that part of the world. But the network there is really good. I mean, I, I was connected to you know numerous people there through networks within within Nottingham and uh, with different service providers. And is that has that been helpful for you, or is that one of the reasons that you you based the business there? And um, obviously, you've seen some interesting businesses develop in that side of you know of, of that part of, of the UK, which is not, I'd argue, not you know it's not globally renowned as far as i'm aware is a, is a life science hub but uh you know it'd be good for our listeners to hear about that that region yeah well so from, you know, first of all for me personally I, I came to nottingham in 1986 and and started work at the company i mentioned delta biotechnology they were based in nottingham and that's probably one of the main reasons why i stayed in nottingham i like the city it's a good place to work but uh, a good place to live so i sort of stayed in the nottingham area but also within Nottingham, you have two very strong local universities. So, you know, a good student population, both with strong pharma and scientific um, sort of centres, if you like. You know, Nottingham University in particular has a very strong pharmacy department and is well renowned for, for its, its pharmaceutical sciences. Um, but also there's, there's Boots as well. You know, it's obviously 
Nottingham is it's the birthplace of Boots the chemist and within Nottingham there's a, a huge amount of people that have passed through Boots and have then left Boots the chemist and, and, and started their own businesses and in Nottingham as well there's also the old Boots R&D Centre which is now by City, by City mm -hmm. Nottingham which houses something like 50 small startup companies in the sort of bio, uh, pharmaceutical biotech sector. So, you know, with that, with that combination of the universities, uh, Boots and, and Reckitt Benkiser also have a site now in Nottingham. And also obviously AstraZeneca, uh, the Charnwood site is only 10 miles away. So there's quite a, quite a hub of um, academic and large pharma companies back in the 80s and 90s, which subsequently spawned a whole number of small startups and spin-outs and that's probably the reason why Nottingham is quite a, a strong hub it's that combination of spin-outs from the universities the scientific excellence at the universities and then the former Astra and Boots connections leading to smaller companies now being formed and, and obviously you have Biocity as an incubator site right in the middle of it and that's been very successful. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that. And I, I think uh, for, for many of our listeners who don't know that part of the world or, or that part of the UK, I think uh, at least they've got a bit of an insight now, which is which is great. And I wanted to switch gears slightly, Richard, and ask you a couple of questions, I suppose, relating to uh, leadership and, and your, your career development. Obviously, you've had a, a very... Uh, long and successful career running running your own companies. You, you mentioned before, I think, in the, you know, particularly at Upperton, and some of the challenges that you'd been through and and almost mistakes that you'd made in in that period. Are there any that really come to mind in terms of you know uh, real lessons or learnings that at the time might have been painful, but you, you know have ultimately given you an insight and a learning that have that have ultimately. I suppose helped you in the development as you of you as a person and and your business. Uh, difficult, difficult question. I think one of the one of the key learnings or the key you get those little sort of eureka moments, don't you, where you think, "Hang on a minute, what am I doing this for?" And um, for the first probably eight years, six to eight years of, of Upperton's existence, we, as I say, I started out working on my own. Uh, as a consultant, really, I, I just uh, my previous business, Andaris, had been acquired. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Initially, I thought I'd have six months off and just think about my career. But the day I was leaving Andaris, I got a phone call from a consultancy company saying, "Can you do some consultancy work?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> I started consulting and then worked as a consultant. But I always had the desire to get back into the lab and, and get a lab coat on and do some research. So. For the, for the, so I formed Upperton, uh, as I say, as a consultant, and then we, I hired a, a small laboratory at the University in Nottingham and started doing some spray drying again and started to develop our own products. And I wanted to get back into the, the diagnostics world. Um, I was interested in diagnostics, uh, and by that I mean ultrasound imaging, nuclear medicine, a whole range of different sort of um, diagnostic techniques. And I spent the best part of six to eight years using Upperton as a vehicle to develop our own diagnostic products without a great deal of success. We had some interesting research compounds, but basically we struggled for funding and struggled for investment. But all the time I was doing that, I kept getting phone calls from people in the field saying, can you do some spray drying for us? So <laughs> we started doing little bits of um, contract work and it was all a, a bit of a nuisance, like, oh, I'm going to be doing research, but this company wants something spray drying. And, 
And then I, I, sp I sat down with a local business advisor from the, um, he was from the, the local business advice group. And he was chatting away and I was telling him how, what a nuisance this contract work was. I said, yeah. He said, well, why is it a nuisance? That's what you should be doing. You know, don't mess about with research and development. It's too expensive and it's too small. Become a contract company, sell your services and your expertise. And then all of a sudden, everything he was saying just kind of made sense. I thought, actually, he's probably right. We can actually make money from you know, selling my knowledge and, and our company's capabilities. And so literally within the space of a few days, we, we sort of transitioned our offering from, we still did a bit of our own research and development, but we started to market ourselves as a, a service company. And, and really on the back of that, Upperton just took off really. So it wasn't planned. It wasn't a, a career decision, right? I'm gonna become a CDMO. It was just a, a chat over a coffee with a local business advisor from the local business link. And he, he said, well, you know, if I was in your shoes, I would be putting the R&D on the back burner for now. and, and doing all this contract work that keeps knocking at your door. So it really was an overnight sort of switch, if you like, that Uberton became a, a contract company. And I think that's probably the, one of the you know, more important lessons I learned is, you know, at the end of the day, if there's a demand for a particular service or a particular activity, don't be scared to, to chase it. And, and on the back of that, Uberton has grown. We've, we've seen areas that we wanted to get into within invested what, what money we were making back into new areas and new techniques and gone from a, a company with one small lab spread ride to a, a fully-fledged CDMO with a GMP capability. And, and it's all been on following, you know, following the growth areas, not being scared to invest in new areas and growing the business on that basis. That's great. I, I'm, I, I love that story, Richard. And I, I've written down the accidental CDMO because I think there's something very charming and, and genuine about, about that and, uh, yeah, and about your story generally. And, and if you could go back and give that uh, you know, 25 or 30 year old Richard some advice, what, what would you say? Would it be along those lines of you know, lean into the market demand or is there any other advice that you would give yourself? Uh, I, I think pro probably if I was giving myself some advice back then, it would probably be not to be scared to follow follow your instincts i think i've always been a very cautious you know obviously i enjoy the challenge of science i'm not scared to try things scientifically but from a business perspective i was quite cautious um you know upperton has grown organically we've never sought outside investment there's no vc money behind us or anything it was all organic growth and i think if i was doing things again it would be you know, don't be scared to accelerate the growth of the business don't be scared to, to move into gmp manufacturing don't be scared to recruit additional resources because, you know, I guess with the benefit of hindsight, that's easy to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, the, the company was grown in a very cautious way. Um, it could have been accelerated more quickly and the, the work was always there. I just, you know, didn't have the, I'd say just a, a natural cautious approach. But I think as, as the years have gone by, you know, particularly over the last two or three years, I've realized that, you know, the, the demand for spray drying and then for this type of pharmaceutical development is there. And um, I'm, I'm less cautious now and, and happier to invest in things. And, as, and on the back of that, the company is growing even quicker. So, yeah, so that's probably the, the biggest learning. Uh, some great lessons there. And I'm, I'm pleased to hear that the company continues to grow at, at speed. And, and Richard, how would your best friend describe you in, in three words? Oh, that's a, a difficult question. Um, I think most people think me as, as very cool and steady, 
yeah, I just, just say very sort of steady and assured. I'm not the wildest outgoing person. Um, unless I've had a couple of beers, then I get a bit <laughs> Generally speaking, I would say, you know, people will see me as calm and, and sort of measured and, and, and steady, really. Well, I've seen some scientists on, on a night out, some of the calmest people in the borough trees. I remember years ago working for a CDMO and some of the most professional, diligent scientists that worked in the clean rooms. And when, you know, when the Christmas party came around, obviously it's a different time this year, but you know, in those days, they were up dancing on the tables and they were like completely different people. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure you've, you've got that side of you as well. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the last couple of questions actually, Richard, is, is just around, I know we've talked about some of the trends, I suppose, that are a more granular dosage form uh, level. And I'm just interested to know your thoughts on other general trends that you're seeing in the sector uh, or, or things that you expect to happen in the next couple of years obviously we're expecting outsourcing to grow generally and, and maybe more cdmos in the market i'm guessing one of the challenges you get is is actually i'm sure you've had people knocking on your door <laughs> wanting to invest or acquire you as you know with the kind of continuing m a in in the in the market as well but I'm, yeah i'm really interested in your thoughts you know at a, at a bigger picture in terms of the outsourcing space what what do you expect to happen in the next few years uh, it's, it's, yeah i think i think effectively it'll be more of the same like, as you say the market's growing I see the CDMO market doing nothing but grow in the next sort of three to five years, driven you know right from large companies, you know, big pharma down to small virtuals, everybody looking to outsource to the CDMO sector. And I, and I think that's driving more and more investment into that area. I think there's a, a lot of investment going into the CDMO markets companies. So I see that continuing. I can imagine there will be more consolidation across the business, across the CDMO sector as the, the biggest CDMOs look to plug any gaps. But I think also even in the sort of the, the medium and smaller size CDMOs, I can see a lot of activity potentially around smaller companies merging together to give a, a, a bit of a wider offering to the market. Um, so I see consolidation and mergers as very much on the card over the next two to three years. A lot of investment from, from the VCs and from other CDMOs into smaller CDMOs. And also potentially smaller CDMOs partnering together to, to be able to compete with the big players, you know, offer, offer more services in a collaborative way. And certainly we, we as a business are seeing more in that, that sort of area, looking at other CDMOs and offering or, or other, other companies that are earlier in the development chain, you know, API manufacturers, API developers, coming to uh, CDMOs like us and offering, you know, a, a joint offering almost and, and maybe some of the... Um, Pharma, you know, the, the PK companies doing um, preclinical testing, coming to the likes of us saying, can we partner? So I see lots of small collaborations from smaller companies happening in the, in the, in the coming years. And, and, and alongside it, a willingness of um, VCs to invest and, and look for investment in, in our sector. So yeah, it's definitely a, a story of, of continued growth and consolidation and investment. I think that's a very positive and upbeat note to, to end the interview. Richard, thank you so much for your, for your time. Uh, I know you're a busy man and I'm sure you want to get your lab coat on and get back into the clean rooms. But yeah, thank you so much for, for obviously being a guest on, uh, on Molecule to Market. Okay, thank you, Raman. Nice to talk to you. Thank you.
Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.